Strap on the boots and scrape up the knuckles. Oh, what a hit! He got jacked. This is the Big Red Rage. Presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Murray's going to score! Touchdown! Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. <laughs> the Rage is brought to you by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Right on the price. Right on the corner of the Santan 202 Freeway in Val Vista. SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. The Red Sea is rising up. Temperature rising, vision blurring, rage taking over. Here's Paul Calvisi. I'm ready. I'm 100% ready. I'm telling you I'm ready. And Ron Wolfley. It doesn't get any better than that. Unleash the fury! Ron Wolfley, please tell me that you remember our marketing mantra that we put out there this time a year ago. No, I don't, Paul. A 2023 dip or a 2024 rip. Okay, yes, I do remember that. Well, TikTok 2024 officially starts this week with a Super Bowl in the books. And guess what? We're here to get it all started because we are 52 weeks a year here on the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. It's another in a series of cram it vertical editions. <laughs> a little bit later, the running backs coach, Autry Denson, will join us. Oh, this will be good stuff. Cardinals only had a top five run game in 2023. Speaking of dipping and ripping, yes. Paul, yeah, yes. it'll be great. Coach Denson will join us. Just the all-time leading rusher to this day in the history of Notre Dame football. Wow. Let that hang in the wow. air for a minute. That's incredible. So there you go. And uh, I tell you what, it was a, it was an incredible finish to the season, was it not? Super Bowl 58, which went overtime, went to the very last play of the season. It set a TV ratings record, the most watched program in television history. Wow. The halftime show broke a record. I mean, everything about it. And then it culminated in the Chiefs parade. And a tragic end to the parade in chaos and a fatal shooting. And so that's why we're here tonight in part. Look, let's talk some football. But in the wake of what happened in Kansas City this week, um, guess what? That's why sports exist to me in so many ways, because it's an escape. No doubt about it, Paulie. And once again, our prayers go out to anybody that has been affected by this. And it's just awful. There's nothing else to say. Yeah, Super Bowl week in Vegas was such a success. And once again, it culminated in the Chiefs beating the Niners 25-22 in overtime. So many directions to go in this one. What sticks with you yeah, the most? For me, Paulie, it's just the fact that this was a competition. It was not a coronation. I was so happy to see that. I think the pinnacle game of every NFL season, I think we'd all agree, is the Super Bowl. And shouldn't it be where two of the best teams in the football universe square off against each other? And it should be a contest. It should be a competition, not a coronation, not it should be a close game. That's what I wanted to see. And you know what? That's what we got to see. 
a close game. You know me, Paulie. The struggle is real, and I want the struggle. I want every punt, every special team's play to be important. Where field position is going to start, of course, for any team. I I love it all, and what I'm so thankful for in Super Bowl 58 is we saw it all. So after the game, you heard Patrick Holmes shout out, the Kansas City Chiefs are never underdogs. Just know that. So, look, it's a Chiefs team that, yes, won its third Super Bowl in the last five years after going 50 years without winning a Super Bowl. But it was Patrick Mahomes and a Kansas City Chiefs team that earned it. It turns out that they had the toughest path to a Super Bowl win based on strength of opponents ever faced. They went on the road, obviously. He had never done that before. And when they needed him the most, what was he doing on the game-winning drive in overtime? 13 plays, 75 yards. He went 8 for 8, scrambled for a pair of first downs. He was everything the GOAT is supposed it's to be. just incredible, Paulie, to hear you read those numbers off right there. Once again, um, this was a very, very physical game. I loved it. I, I think the San Francisco 49ers, if you look at their roster, 1 through 53, I think they have the better roster. Yep. Not just me. A more Agreed. talented roster. And yet, the difference in this game, and it was no fault of Brock Purdy whatsoever. I thought he played exceptionally well for the young guy that he is to be in the Super Bowl and to be playing against Patrick Mahomes, for him to go out and put his team in a position where they could have won that game. And then all of a sudden, you got Pat Mahomes on the other side. That quarterback playing at an incredibly high level with a roster that isn't as talented as who they're playing against took them down the field and won the game. When they needed him to do it, he did it. That's what great quarterbacks do. Think about it. Brock Purdy had three Pro Bowl weapons at least. George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, and there's Patrick Holmes this season working with a cast of characters at receiver after they had traded Tyreek Hill. All he's done is won two Super Bowls ever since they traded away Tyreek Hill. Yes, they have the best tight end in the game in Travis Kelsey, but it just goes to show you when there's Patrick Holmes on the game-winning drive and he's changing plays of the line of scrimmage and he's changing pass protections and you got a team that at one point had lost five out of eight you know, late in the season, a receiver crew that had led the NFL in drops with 44 drop passes. They are a master, Andy Reid and company, of playing their best ball at the best point no in the doubt. season when it counts the most. No doubt, Paulie. And once again, there you are. You're talking about this very thing. Think of Pat Mahomes in the first half. Yeah. <laughs> whoa, sure. whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. Not off to a great start by anybody's standard whatsoever. And yet, Patrick Mahomes, when they needed it the most, eight of eight. <laughs> there he goes. I mean, that, you know, this is what great quarterbacks do. And I think Patrick Mahomes right now, you can you can put him up there, as far as I'm concerned, with Tom Brady. You can put him up there with Peyton Manning. And I'm, I'm talking about not as guys that have won X amount of Super Bowls. I'm talking about quarterbacks that orchestrated an offense and engineered an offense as if they were a coach in shoulder pads. I mean, honestly, he... he to see Pat Mahomes playing at an incredibly high, efficient level, it reminds me of Peyton Manning. Now, once again, we know Peyton Manning doesn't have as many Super Bowl wins, nowhere close, as Tom Brady. Yet, at the same time, if anybody watched Peyton Manning play the game of football, this guy was an artist playing quarterback. 
And Tom Brady, you could say the exact same thing. But Pat Mahomes, when I look at Pat Mahomes, I think he might be, I'm going to balk when I say this, even better at orchestrating and engineering than Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. Wow. I might balk when I say this, that when I was watching Patrick Mahomes in some of those money moments, especially the run-pass options that were so effective, I was thinking Kyler Murray. (laughs) I was thinking there aren't many quarterbacks, if any, that have that skill set. But Kyler's one of the few where you could design an offense and task a quarterback in a similar fashion. And when I was watching the way they went about Carving up the 49ers, I'm thinking Kyler Murray and maybe some of the same possibilities. And I think you're right on that, Paulie. Can I also say right now um, that how you saw the Kansas City Chiefs use Patrick Mahomes in Super Bowl 58 is how you want your quarterback to run the ball. That's how you want to do it. You want to. You don't want to go out there and say we got to give him the ball 12 times in this game. Yeah. We got to we got to call his number twelve times. We get if you need your quarterback to run that many times, you 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 got the wrong quarterback, Paul. I'm just saying that right now. If you need to do that to make your offense work, quarterbacks have got to throw the ball, and they got to run it when they must run it. How many times you saw Pat Mahomes pull the ball down and run it and move the chains? Not just called runs, which were a couple, just a handful of called runs for Pat Mahomes, but pull it down and extend plays when you must. That is the quarterback of the future in the NFL, and that is what the Arizona Cardinals have in Kyler Murray. Super Bowl on the line, fourth and one in overtime, and he runs eight yards for a first down. Then, 19 yards he runs, he gets to the second level, leaves guys in the dust, sets up the game when he touchdown. Yep. I just, I'm thinking Kyler Murray. When you gotta have it, that's when you want your quarterback running. Hey, Cardinal season ticket priority list. Go to azcardinals.com slash priority list. We'll come back. We'll talk about the Niners' implications for the Cardinals and a former Cardinals head coach on the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. 13 seconds to go in the overtime. 22 to 19, San Francisco. McKinnon is in at running back. First down and goal to go. Play action fake. Right side throw. Touchdown! Kansas City! McCall Hardman! McCall Hardman with the catch on the right side! A three-yard touchdown pass in overtime! Kansas City wins the game! 25-22! And the Chiefs' kingdom has started its own history class because for the first time in 6,944 days, there is a back-to-back Super Bowl champion, and it is the Kansas City Chiefs. Mitch Holtis, Kansas City Chiefs Radio, great call. Third Super Bowl win in five years for Kansas City. First repeat champ in the NFL since 03-04, the Patriots, for a team that once again had lost five out of eight at one point. Andy Reid told the story. He texted Antonio Pierce, the Raiders head coach, said, thanks, you reminded us. It's a physical game. It's a game that is based on the details. Sometimes when you're a defending champ, you can let some of those things slide. You taught us a lesson. They simplified the offense, and the rest is history. They entered the postseason 10 to 1 odds of winning it all and they defied all the doubters and they went on the road and now as if the underdog thing wasn't enough momentum (laughs) right and motivation for Patrick Mahomes now they have the chance of being the first ever three-peat champ in the Super Bowl era 
And that's something that's going to drive Mahomes and company. Yeah, you know, you have to wonder too, Paulie, because the whispers are out there about Andy Reid, and maybe Andy Reid walks away if they lose that game. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe he does that. Maybe he might all walk away if they win that game. I, there were whispers out there, but I thought it was interesting to hear Andy Reid said, "No, no way, man, I'm coming back." A three-peat, the possibility thereof to be the first team ever to do it. Oh, boy, you want to talk about Chiefs fatigue at that point in time? Yeah. I don't know about oh, you, Paulie. Yeah. I had a little bit of Chiefs fatigue going oh, into yeah. this Super Bowl. And if that happens, that's going to be rough. That struggle would be real. There's no doubt. It's the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. Paul Calvi, C. Ron Wolfley, soon to be joined by Cardinals running backs coach Autry Denson. By the way, thou shalt not make contact and yell in the face of your head coach on an NFL sideline. Travis Kelsey was taken to task by his brother Jason on their podcast. And uh, Jason told him, you crossed the line. And Travis didn't disagree. And uh, he said when he ran into the coach and he stumbled in his head, he said, uh-oh. And and uh, so they're all good. They won. Uh, winning cures everything. Yes, it does, uh, Paulie. But you know what? I I was really surprised. I, I am I'm a Travis Kelsey guy. I, I I love his talent. He plays the game very very hard. He's not the true stud tight end. You know that I love so much. Yet at the same time, he's just an excellent football player. I was disappointed, Paul. I was disappointed to see him stamp into Andy Reid the way that he did. And um, I thought it was disrespectful, period, especially considering the context of what was going on around him. The fact that um, the Kansas City Chiefs were struggling in that first half, and I get it. He's competitive. He's fired up. Hey, listen, nobody was more out of their mind playing the game of football than me. And can I tell you, have I gone face-to-face with coaches? Yes, I have. And was there yelling? Yeah, Paul, there was yelling involved. But you don't accost your coach. You don't bull rush your coach. Bang into him and then get this far from him screaming in his ear. I Listen, if you're disappointed, I understand you're disappointed. But it almost felt like a little pout to me as well, Paul. Yeah, the ego run amok maybe, just a little bit, a little bit. Uh, Now, as for the 49ers, well, guess what? Since 2019, that's two Super Bowl losses, two losses in the NFC Championship in that span as well. (sighs) Kyle Shanahan hurting a lot of doubters, a lot of critics saying the Niners can't win a big game. He addressed that head on this week, said, quote, to say the Niners can't win a big game would be an extremely inaccurate statement. The fact that we keep getting there shows how much we win big games, but there will be change. And they fired former Cardinals head coach Steve Wilkes as defensive coordinator, one and done with the Niners as DC. Yeah, um, I was really surprised by that. I, I was because once again, you got a situation where um, you've got the number three scoring defense in the National Football League all season long. Steve Wilkes, the defensive coordinator, of course, the number three, giving up 17.5, I believe, Paul. 17.5. The the 49ers defense played very, very well, yet at the same time, when it mattered the most, not so well. Yeah. And they still only gave up 25 points to a Kansas City Chiefs team that I think going into that, you would say, if you told any defensive coordinator in the league, hey, listen, you know what? You're going to give up 25 points against the Kansas City Chiefs. I think they'd say, I'll take that right now. But having said that, um, you know, this something must have happened 
between Kyle Shanahan and Steve Wilkes, whatever that something was, because you rarely fire a defensive coordinator after you've been to the Super Bowl who produced the way that he did. The little explanation he gave, he said it wasn't a great fit, that they kept the scheme from D'Amico Ryans and that the coordinator and the scheme didn't quite fit the way they wanted. And in truth, it wasn't Wilk's scheme. It was D'Amico Ryan's scheme. I so see. That was a little bit of explanation that Kyle Shanahan gave. You know, Fred Warner after the game said, and I quote, Super Bowls aren't given. You've got to take them in the moments where they are there, and we didn't do it, end quote. And there's a lot of other mistakes you can cite that had nothing to do with the Niners' defense. I mean, whether it was a punt return turnover that gift-wrapped Kansas City's first touchdown, yep. the blocked extra point, the O-line missed a block of yep. Chris Jones on that critical play in overtime, right? I, I mean, Christian McCaffrey lost a fumble. Sure. So, and, and Paulie, too, you know, and you know this, I know you do, but just like anybody at, at your workplace right now, there are some people you're just not a good fit. You're just not from a personality perspective, for whatever reason. And I'm not saying that's the case. Nobody's told me that. But, you know, once again, sometimes it's just not a good fit. And obviously, that's what Kyle Shanahan said. And dare I say, the Niners didn't look like they were real equipped to deal with that Kansas City blitz. And Steve Spagnuolo got a contract extension this week. He did a really good job of disguising a lot of those blitzes. And in the second half, the stat I saw was that Brock Purdy was blitzed 50% of his pass attempts. And a lot of times, it was really effective against the young quarterback. And then you got to overtime in the coin toss decision, Ron Wolfley. And man, was a lot of... Uh, shall we say circumspection of that and a lot of blowback as to why oh why would you opt for the unknown versus the known why would you not want to take the ball second when you know what the situation is and what you need and if you saw the NFL films mic'd up the Chiefs we're all about it. When the Niners decided to take the ball, the whole Chiefs sideline was like, great, give it to them. Yeah, no, I, I know. Um, you know, it was a situation where I was thinking about this. Maybe it was because the defense was on the field. I was talking to Lorenzo Alexander about this. They Maybe okay. he didn't want to go back sure. to back with that right there. I also thought this, Paulie, right here, this is one of the reasons why I thought maybe he didn't want Brock Purdy in a situation where, okay, Pat Mahomes took the ball, went down the field, scored a touchdown. Oh, Brock, by the way, now all the pressure is on you. I thought maybe there's not as much pressure, even though we're talking about the Super Bowl at overtime, if he's the guy who takes the ball first and goes down the field. thing is, Kyle Shanahan said it was predetermined before the game and that they wanted the third possession because that's when it would be sudden death. But the Kansas City response was, well, there'll never be a third possession because if we score a touchdown to match your touchdown, we're going for two. Right. Well, there, there, and there you go right there. I, I don't know if that really was the reason or he was trying to protect Brock. Hey, listen to your Cardinals, uh, favorite Cardinals podcast, wherever you go, easycardinals.com slash podcast. Cardinals running back coach Autry Denson next on the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Takes, turns, handoff Connor sprinting to his left, finds some room at the 20, at the 15, loose at the 10, and into the end zone for the touchdown. James Connor from 29 yards out. That drive was all about James Connor. When you hammer the box, there's going to be a leak, and that was a huge leak 
from the Seattle Seahawks box. And off Connor off the right side across the 25-30, 35-40. He's got a thousand at midfield and steps out there. First 1,000 yard season for James Connor. That I tell you, for everything the Cardinals accomplished in the 2023 season, there's a lot to talk about. To finish fourth in rushing as a team. One of the best things that could possibly happen to any team. But wait, there's more. To finish second in rushing yards per carry. To finish first in explosive runs in the NFL. Elite rushing team, Paul. I fully admit, I did not see that coming. 20 plus years on the Cardinals sideline, did not see that coming. We got to get to the bottom of the whole cram it vertical mantra. (laughs) James Conner's first career thousand yard season, all the above. It is a pleasure to welcome Autry Denson Cardinals running backs coach to the Big Red Rage presented by Santan, Ford, and Gilbert. Coach, how are we doing? Man, I'm excellent. How are you all doing? (laughs) We're doing great, Coach. Really appreciate your time right now. Did you have any idea whatsoever in training camp you were going to have this kind of success running the football this year? You know what? Uh, everything about me begins and ends with my faith. And so uh, I would say I definitely always believe that uh, the best outcome is going to be our outcome. And uh, being blessed with a, a leader and a young man like James Conner, mm. uh, going in, you're really, really uh, excited about him. Like, uh, James is a person that uh, he is just such a great young man and a great leader. You want to see good things happen for him. So as a coach, man, uh, I definitely felt like it was going to be special. He said the same thing as we started off, and uh, we were blessed, man, to actually have a special season. Mm. We said it before. We'll say it again. He's not just a player. He's a mindset. He's a mentality. For everyone who's not around the team like you are, obviously, how much do other players feed off him? How much does he set the tone? You know what? Uh, he, he leads by example, but he knows when to be uh, vocal. Uh, and uh, that goes back to James's uh, mother, man. He is just, like I said, we can't take any credit for James Conner. That is, uh, you talk about the whole thing, nature versus nurture. Uh, he was naturally created like that. God blessed him to be that type of leader. His environment obviously nurtured him. But, man, he is, it, I mean, what he does for us is uh, it's just unexplainable. And we can't quantify how valuable it is. You know, back when I was playing, of course, all the way back in 1985, <laughs> I can't even imagine it, Audrey. It's so long. You've got to be kidding me. Yet at the same time, there, and every down back was something that was common mm-hmm. in the National Football League. He is an every down back. He's playing in an era where you yeah. just don't do that anymore, correct? And you know what's interesting about that is uh, that was some of the questions coming in. And so you talk about somebody who has done as many things as he's done to embrace uh, from day one an improvement plan for him. So he's not content with where mm-hmm. he is. He's always striving to get better. And that's his mindset. So it trickles down to not just the offense, but the team overall. And so what you saw was just him embracing, uh, just never being satisfied, always reaching and pushing himself because he understands the more that he demands of himself, the more he can uh, demand from others. One of the things I love the most about watching James Conner run the football is he is fearless in terms of running the football. And you know, Coach, the way that spreads. Just fearless when he runs the ball and he does it in a very very physical in your face kind of way and that energizes the entire sideline that energizes Mm -hmm. the offense the defense special teams everybody when you watch a guy that is out there giving it yeah it energizes his coach It's fun, man. It's fun watching your guy, I mean, break tackles and just uh, be in his element. So uh, you are absolutely correct. Uh, He provides that energy for all of us, everybody in that stadium. If you want energy, 
And James Conner, uh, recent addition to the Pash Pod, Dave Pasher, the voice of the Arizona mm-hmm. Cardinals. He had the great comedian on Frank Caliendo, master impressionist. <laughs> and Dave asked him to recreate a play call, but do it in the voice of Jack Nicholson and then Morgan <laughs> Freeman. Roll it. This is a James Conner four-yard touchdown run. Just do flat shovel, flat face as Jack Nicholson. <laughs> flat shovel, flat face. <laughs> That's how you run the ball inside the red zone. A little goal to go. Hand it off to James Conner. Let him find the light. And that's what he did. Here's James Conner. Uh, flat, sho- flat shovel, flat face. That's how you run the ball inside the red zone, Sonny. <laughs> That Morgan Freeman, oh my goodness. Come on, Jack man. Nicholson. I know. Audrey Denson joining us here, Cardinals That's running backs coach. Good. You're like, what am I supposed to do with that? So, okay. Here's my question. <laughs> Cardinals led the NFL, as I mentioned, in explosive runs. James Conner himself had 11 runs of 20 or more yards. That led the league. He's not a burner, per se. So what do you attribute that to? Uh, our preparation and attention to detail. Uh, again, uh, I'm blessed to have just a great group of young men just in that room, but uh, I'm also blessed to have played the position. So I uh, feel like it gives me some different insight. I'm able to see the game a, a lot different because I've been in those positions. And so everything we do is about preparing those guys and pushing them and trying to put them or putting them in situations to where what I like to call el- eliminating the human element with reps of just now, it becomes second nature. And so what you saw a lot of is that he was able to play and they were able to play faster, longer because they weren't having to think. They were reacting because we had prepared ourselves for those situations. So when they happened, we were able to take advantage of them. Coach, how, how important was it that this offense evolved over the course of this year? And it got to a point at the end of the year where Kyler Murray was under center a lot of the time. How important was that to James Conner and the ability to run the ball? You know, I think when you talk about evolution, all it is is uh, you're just trying to uh, put just the guys in the best position to do whatever the current situation uh, dictates. Drew does a great job of that uh, as an offensive unit collectively, uh, just making sure that everyone's open for suggestions, suggestions and things of that nature. So when we go in, it is just all about being able to do what we do best and then being able to dictate to the defense. So I think that evolution was just natural based upon the opportunities that we saw collectively that were uh, available. But I think when I think of James Conner, I think of a downhill runner. Mm -hmm. I think of a guy that I want to put his toes at six or seven yards deep and actually attack the line of scrimmage with a guy like that. That really is his strength, don't you think? You know what? Uh, As I tell them, I don't want them to have any chinks in their armor. And so my job and our task is always to make sure that their overall game is always improving. So uh, you saw James Wiggle. You saw him do things that people maybe didn't think he can do. And so that is always the goal is that I don't want them to be a one-trick anything. I want them to have total game and be able to do a little bit of everything. And so he was able to catch. He was able to show that he can make people miss. He can run through you. He can run around you. And so, again, it's just about uh, getting to know each other and Mm -hmm. having a really good working relationship where he trusts me to do things that he would normally do and uh, it paid off. It's just like offensively as a unit. You want to be whatever you need to be in order Absolutely. to beat your opponent. Absolutely. Right? Yes. And you need position versatility to do that. Speaking of, and we're speaking with Autry Densett, Cardinals running backs coach. Cardinals ran for over 200 yards as a team four times. Mm. A buck 50 six times. What do you think opponents this year learned about the Cardinals' new offense and this scheme? And what do you think this offseason they're preparing for accordingly? 
You know what I think? Uh, just as JG said, man, we we just our guys play hard. I mean, and that's a testament to him, the uh, mindset, the culture that uh, we've been able to set. And uh, I just our guys really played hard. And when you come away from it. That's the thing that you can hang your hat on is that, man, people didn't want to play us. I mean, it was teams that – and I've, I've heard it all offseason and during the season, like, man, you guys play hard. And so that is really kudos to JG from the top down setting that mindset. But the guys, man, are really embracing it. And no matter what, you talk about uh, the season, the record, they played – we literally played until the last play of the season. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, fighting. And that's mm-hmm. a testament. I mean, guys just really bought in and just played for one another. So you don't see that a lot all over the place. Uh, especially just in our culture. But, man, we got a great group of young men that play for each other because football still is the ultimate team game. You know, one of the guys that really impressed me was Michael Carter. Yeah. Um, how did he advance <laughs> this past season? What were your thoughts on Michael Carter and the way he came in and produced? I guess if I, I'm going to frame it by saying this, Michael Carter has a passion for playing the game. And when you watch him, He's fun to watch because he's having fun. And so one of the things I did for the guys, uh, I don't mind saying this, is I, I got them a framed picture, each of them, just something to remember. And my wife, the first thing that jumps out on him is as he's running, he has a smile so big on his face. <laughs> and so that's it's, it's funny that that is Mike. He smiles and plays. Like during the game, he is smiling as he is playing. Wow. And that's just his passion for the game. That is yeah. awesome. It's different. How many times did you replay in the film room him breaking the ankles of the Eagles <laughs> DB? Because, I mean, you were in Philly. It was Allen Iverson-esque <laughs> the way he broke the ankles of that guy. Because uh, the whole sideline erupted. Yeah, yeah. It, we, we have a rule in our room and it, again, it goes back to just how great the guys are is that uh, they really want to uh, talk about what they did well. They really want to focus on how they need to improve and just collectively in the room. So that's not you know, radio talk, that is what it is. So we really didn't replay it besides watching the film, but we did spend time on the other things that we needed to improve on. And again, that comes from uh, just the expectation in the room. Coach, do you have a favorite part of being a coach? I mean, is there a favorite part for you, whether it's watching tape together collectively with your guys or up on the grease board, gracing it up, or is it the one? What, what exactly is your favorite thing about being a coach? And I'm going to back into it by saying my favorite thing about it is coaching for me is ministry and so I'm very clear about I'm using the platform athletics to influence and win lives for Christ and so what that does is it's my love for just people right I love the Lord and loving people and so I want to see them be significant and so what happens is every week I push myself more and more in every aspect because I don't want to let them down. I want to be better for them. And so you don't mind watching film. You don't mind doing whatever it takes because I will not let them down. And that's where that relationship was really able to develop because we're talking about things and we're making sure that we're covering everything because I want them to be equipped and they understand that. It sounds like you're keeping the main thing the main thing. Absolutely. <laughs> so I can see how you were a head coach at Charleston Southern for four years. I can see that. It's coming through here. Autry Denson, Cardinals running backs coach. You were also at the Senior Bowl, one of a half dozen Cardinals yeah. assistants who uh, at the All-Star Games. What was that experience like? Man, a, a blessing and really surreal. So I hadn't been to the Senior Bowl. And my, my, my wife reminded me of this. She likes to date me. But I hadn't <laughs> been to the Senior Bowl since I played in it. Wow. And so that was in 1999 wow. that I hadn't been to Mobile. And so it was surreal and a blessing to be back there now coaching it. And uh, it, it was a blast, man, uh, to get a chance to be around a uh, 
all the up and comers, right? The uh, the who's who's, the young men that you watch on TV, and now you're beginning a chance to get kind of a you know an early eval on them hmm. and spending time with them, having them in meeting rooms. And the thing I enjoyed the most was just sitting around and talking with the guys because they want to pick your brain as well. As somebody who's played the game, as somebody who's now coaching it, they have a ton of questions because I can't remember my senior bowl process because when you're a player you're so locked in it's like a blur and so that was really cool because they have a ton of questions a ton of anxiety around what does this process look like and the one thing that was common is that none of them expected to be this much already and as I warned them it's just going to get uh, even more challenging <laughs> as they go through this process. So any names for us, Coach? Any, <laughs> any names you want to throw out there? You know what? I will not throw names out. <laughs> uh, you know what they did a good job of is that we were able to be around uh, all the guys. So I was on the uh, American squad. So I was around my guys. But in the hotel, uh, you were able to hang out with mm. all the guys. And so I found, obviously I found my Notre Dame guys. We had a lot of guys there represented about uh, five or six of those guys. But it was really cool to set up because it allowed you really uh, on off time to just talk and get to know the guys for who they are. Was Audric there? Was he, he was there? not. He, he was, was not, not there. Yeah, okay. He was not. He was not. What, what can a young running back in that setting do to impress you as a running backs coach? Without naming names, what, what can they do? What stood out to you? Or what did you make note of? Authentically being themselves. Uh, really wanting to have the information but not trying to be something they're not uh being able to retain information and ask questions not just to ask questions so really it really just comes back to them being who they are and uh that was a lot of my uh advice to them is man just be who you are it's gotten you to this point uh so often you see people change things change people around them and that's really where their 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 shortcomings or downfalls come in don't change improve and continue to do what you've been doing it's been good enough to this point have faith that it'll continue to take you through so what do you miss the most as a former player? Here you are, a guy that played this game. What, what is it that you miss right now? Is there anything that you miss? The thing you miss when you finish playing is uh, it's the relationships. It's the people, right? I mean, those are your brothers. You, sp- you, I mean, you invest so much time in each other. So it, it is always the people, right? It's not the buildings. It's not the game. Yeah, you love it, but it is the people and it is those experiences that uh, you just you, – once you leave, you're no longer – around mm. each other as much and so it's phone calls it's social media but it's never the same when you you know you're seeing each other every day for pretty much eight nine hours a day you know your former teammate at notre dame bertrand barry was a mm-hmm. longtime player host of this show for like five <laughs> or six years bertrand yes. barry so next <laughs> time you see him. him yeah get on him and then remind him too how you're still the all-time leading rusher in notre dame history you got to flex that one for b train <laughs> You know what? Uh, he knows it. So our sons, we were blessed. Our sons, my son, his son, and Greg Toler's son all played this year for the same team at Highland. Wow. So I got a chance to see Burt okay. every week. And uh, the one thing I wow. don't have to do is flex that to Burt because uh, if it wasn't for Alan Ross, it was obviously God. But Alan Ross and Burt Berry helped recruit me to Notre Dame. So I don't know if it's probably another wow. person that actually is more proud of what I was able to accomplish than Burt. And he's... He's much more verbal about it than I am. I can tell you that. He still says that he was a great running back in high school in Texas. (laughs) I'm not sure. I I need evidence of that. I need evidence of that. He was a heck of a hurdler now. He's an unbelievable athlete. Big dude. I mean, my goodness. Absolutely love that. Thank you so much, Coach. And by the way, Jesus 
Jesus is Lord. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Thank you, man. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate it. Uh, And, you know, appreciate you giving us some time, all the off-season meetings and everything going on. Everyone thinks the coaches are, like, gone for three. No. (laughs) Nope. They are grinding. In fact, we'll come back, and we're going to talk about one of the big-time offensive linemen, Paris Johnson Jr., who helped pave the way last season. It's the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. With the sixth pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the Arizona Cardinals select Paris Johnson Jr., Ohio State. High, high football character. Highly intelligent, well-spoken, mature, dependable. And you can tell that he's made of the right things, the things that we want not only our offensive linemen to be made of, but, but our entire team. And he's nasty. Plays with an edge. As we found out over the course of this season, a season where he's the only offensive player on the Cardinals roster to play every single snap. Awesome. Think about that. As an offensive lineman, think about a Cardinals offensive line that was devastated by injuries the season before. So, with a sixth pick overall, it is Monty Asafort's first ever selection as general manager of the Arizona Cardinals, Paris Johnson Jr., the All-American out of Ohio State. And then when you hit zoom out and you look at a rookie class that led the NFL with 11 rookies that started at least one game combined for an NFL high 64 starts as a rookie class. Ron Wolfley, I mean, yeah. that, you tell me, how much is that going to pay off next season, all those reps for all those rookies? That's going to be incredible, Paulie. It just, it's, it's something you cannot overlook right now the experience of going out and playing and going on the field and competing and realizing to yourself, I I belong here. I can do this. I can play with these guys. When you get to that point as an NFL player, a young guy trying to make your way at the highest level our species can generate, when you get to the point where you know deep down inside, I belong here, now the sky is the limit. How, how much better can you possibly get? You'll get all the talent out of yourself once you come to the point that says, I belong here. Paris Johnson Jr., he definitely belongs here. He's got everything you could possibly want in a tackle. He's got the feet. He's got the athleticism. He's got the demeanor, of course. He's got a nice build as well. He's not the classic butt gut that is out there right now. He's got everything that you need from a tackle in today's NFL. And the best ability, as we all know, is availability. You know, my favorite anecdote was the game at Pittsburgh where the Cardinals went out and after the game, T.J. Watt said, we got out physical. We got our bleeps kicked as the Cardinals got a win. And that was a Steelers team that was desperate for a win in the playoff picture at that point. And at the very end of the game, you might have seen there was a little bit of a tussle between Paris Johnson Jr. and T.J. Watt. All right, ruining a tootin', whomping and a stomping over there. Guys had to step in between them. Turns out that Paris tried to take the all-pro out of bounds tried to block him all the way into the sideline and beyond and tj watt wasn't having any of that is there anything wrong with that Polly? i ask you rhetorically <laughs> yes so uh i ask you ron wolfley would you like to hear the list of premier pass rushers that paris johnson jr went against last season yes here we go aaron donald twice okay <laughs> nick bosa twice you had to start with the easy stuff here come montez on montez sweat twice T.J. Watt, who led the league with 19 sacks. Trey Hendrickson had 17.5 for the Bengals. He went against Micah Parsons and Miles Garrett. 
14 yes. apiece. Uh, Baltimore's Justin Matabuike, right? 13 sacks. Wow. I tweeted this out. I didn't even have room for Jonathan Greenard, who was a pro bowler for Houston, and Will Anderson Jr., your NFL defensive rookie of the year. Okay, Polly, but I thought we we're talking about right tackle here. Are we not talking about right tackle? We are talking about yes. right tackle. See, this is the National Football League for the most part. It's still a situation, I believe, where your right defensive end, as the defense looks at it, of course, from their perspective, your right defensive end over the left tackle still is the guy that you want to be your best pass rusher for the most part. And the reason being is because of the blind side of a quarterback, of course. But having said that, in today's NFL, so much of the time, you're moving these guys around. You're moving these guys. they got to be able to flip that right defensive end over to left defensive end and left defensive end over to right defensive end, moving them around. Some even inside. They'll do that with Aaron Donald from time to time as well. Put him on the edge or leave him inside, wherever it may be. They'll move guys around. You have to be able to do that. That means you need two really good tackles in today's NFL. The right tackle in this offense, interestingly enough, because you've got Kyler Murray, who's a right-handed quarterback, might even be more important the right tackle because when a quarterback is throwing, the, the peripheral vision is more towards the right side typically, than it is towards the left. And you can feel movement. You can feel motion. You can feel something coming at you more out of that right tackle. I think it might even be, you could build an argument, it might even be more important in this offense to keep that open for Kyler Murray on that right side. To your point, Paris Johnson Jr. told me late in the season that in the first Rams game, there were multiple times where Aaron Donald broke the huddle and said, I got the rook. And purposely came over there you go. him at right tackle yeah. just to test the rook. Yep. And to Paris's credit, he said, you know what? I wanted to test myself <laughs> against the best. <laughs> That'll do it. And now the question is, next year and going forward, is he going to be the right tackle? Is he going to be the left tackle? Yeah. We know about the season-ending knee injury to DJ Humphreys. What does that mean for next season? What does that mean for the left tackle position going forward? Well, Paris Johnson Jr. was asked about that after the year. I just want to be a part of the best five and where I'm at on the line is dependent on um, on them. But definitely this offseason, I'm going to continue to train both sides just to be ready, you know. So when my number's called, if it's called to go to the left, I can be able to step right in. So I'm definitely going to um, take this offseason to work on both sides. For what it's worth, he was also asked, how long would it take you? Like, if you would have done it during the season, he said, give me one practice. That I played enough left. I na- I played enough left tackle at Ohio State. Just give me one full practice. I could play it in the NFL just to get the footwork down again. So, in his eyes, it's not a monumental move to go from right to left. The question is, what will the Cardinals do in the draft? What the might the Cardinals do in free agency? I think a lot of that might be dictated based yeah. on player acquisition, perhaps. We'll see. You know, it's so interesting to hear him because now you know why Monty Ford drafted him number six overall. Yeah. Yeah. This guy is a squared away dude. And so much of the time, offensive linemen, Paul, you don't want them to be explosive. You don't want them to be volatile all over the place mentally. You want them to be guys that lower the plow and hit the gas for the most part really simple dudes and listening to paris johnson jr 
um, in his simple logic and how he approaches his game of football, how he approaches his position being right tackle, and whether or not he would be willing to move to left tackle. I, I can't get enough of this kid. He's squared away, Paul. Don't forget, he graduated in three years, and he was actually a writer on the Ohio State school paper. <laughs> he was a journalism major. Okay? That's right. That's so right. It's next level, a lot of this stuff. That's right. Now, going into the offseason, Ron Wolfley, how much would you desire another tackle in this draft? Because it is loaded in offensive tackles this year, and or maybe a center. There's a few franchise-caliber centers, so it's hard not to notice in the AFC Championship game, you saw Tyler Linderbaum going against Creed Humphrey to names that have been associated with the Cardinals in past drafts. Yes, Paulie. There there are NFL scouts that are out there and general managers, and I'm not saying draft subterfuge isn't in play because it always is, but they are saying there could be eight, possibly nine tackles wow. taken in the first round. I've, I've never heard anything like that, Paulie, but the point is there's a lot of talent that is out there. I, I could see it number 27. You know, the Arizona sure. Cardinals possibly doing something at number 27 to improve that offensive line. Or maybe even 35 with Graham Barton, okay? The the interior offensive lineman out of Duke. I love this kid. He's a brawler. Fight you to the ground with blood under his nails. That's exactly what we need. A stout interior offensive lineman that will keep the pocket the integrity of that pocket for Kyler Murray behind him. So you're saying maybe, just maybe, a Marvin Harrison Jr. at four and then still get the offensive lineman <laughs> exactly at 27. Right. Yes, Paulie. Because, uh, and I know you're all head over heels over Marvin Harrison Jr. I get it. <laughs> but this GM, I'm still convinced, is building from the inside out. I think you're right about that, Paulie, except when it comes to a generational player that's 6'4, a tree. Running in the secondary. <laughs> Look, Kyler, it's a tree. Running in the secondary, throw him the ball. And the other thing I'll throw out there, too, is, you know, we never saw John Gaines this year out of UCLA. That's good, Paulie. And he was faring really he well until he had that season-ending knee injury in August and Yelda Froholt really held it down at center. Did a great job. Yelda is going to be back. So maybe they do go tackle. Maybe they do go guard, whereas before they might have thought center. But maybe they're uh, better off than we all figured in that one. Hey, special thanks, Autry Denson, Cardinals running backs coach. That was outstanding, was it not? Yes. Talking about the Cardinals run game, James Conner and company. Special thanks, as always, executive producer Jim Almohandro, associate producer Cody Fincher, technical director Ali Narini, Ron Wolfley on Paul Calvisi. This has been the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. Chaw! (laughs) You've been listening to the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Right on the price. Right on the corner of the Santan 202 Freeway in Val Vista. The Rage is brought to you by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals Football Club.